Heavenly Father, we pray that the truth of the resurrection of your Son, Jesus, would be planted deep in our hearts that we might know him as Savior and Lord. In his name we pray. Amen. In the past couple of weeks, we have seen two of the great monsters of culture meet on the battle plane. The monsters of heartless greed and consumerism and the monster of self-importance and self-entitlement. I am, of course, talking about the removal of a passenger from a United Airlines flight from Chicago to Louisville. Uh, we've all uh, been completely sucked in uh, to this story, and it's because it's tapped in us something really deep. Uh, we are able to identify with uh, Dr. Dow and the injustice that has occurred on that flight. When I uh, was going up to Boston, Massachusetts for Stephen McCarthy's ordination a little while back, right before I got on the plane, I was reading an article that said that Creflo Dollar, the uh, televangelist, had told his congregation that God told him to tell them that he needed a $70 million Gulfstream G650, uh, which Bloomberg News called, quote, the holy grail of luxury jets. Uh, well, I thought that that was ridiculous and uh, just so gratuitous that it wasn't to be believed. Uh, but after flying all the way up to Boston on commercial air and flying back, as soon as I got back to Birmingham, I got on the phone and called Creflo and said, I'll go halvesies with you. <laughs> Whether you are a Christian or not, uh, we're all on a collision course with the world. It is a battle of wills because we have our own self-will that insists on its own way, uh, but there are also other wills out there that are opposed uh, to ours. It might be a major multinational corporation or it might be your neighbor, but the day is coming, if it hasn't already, when all of us will get the United Airlines treatment. And the thing about Christianity is it acknowledges this truth. It doesn't try to sidestep it or to say if you just try harder, you can overcome it. But eventually, because the world and the devil are so against you that you're going to get steamrolled. Injustices will occur. Your rights will be taken away from you. That's why Paul writes to the Colossians to not set our mind on earthly things but on things above, because if we set our minds on earthly things, when hardships come, they'll tear us apart. We'll find ourselves in deep angst. We'll feel deeply wronged, whether offense was met, meant or not. And we'll hope for justice, but if there be injustice, just let it be in my favor. And the more we strive, the more we become more deeply immersed in the sin that governs the human heart. Look at joy in our own lives. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit of God. It's a hallmark of the Christian faith. But how many of us find our joy to be circumstantial? So long as everything is going our way, we're joyful. But the moment we get sidetracked, derailed, removed from the flight, our hearts plummet. How many of us are undone by even the smallest of things? You may find yourself 
driving around town and you pass a close friend's house and you see that the car, uh, that the driveway is filled with cars and immediately you think, well, why wasn't I invited? Or the friend who gets a promotion in their job and even in their joy, you find yourself distressed that you don't think your work is being acknowledged, that you can't find joy even though your day might have gone swimmingly. Those little things undo you. Or for me, it's the schadenfreude, the pleasure that I have when I see the misfortune of others. The joy that I feel when I go on 280 and I see a car pulled over by the police who just previously had ridden my bumper for a mile and a half and then zoomed by me. Justice! <laughs> joy for so many of us is circumstantial, but it doesn't have to be that way. Or if it is... It is built upon one ultimate circumstance, and that is the empty tomb of Jesus Christ. Empty because on this day, God the Father raised Jesus from the dead, and he lives even now. This lasting joy can only be found in Jesus, this risen Jesus who shepherds his people in the aftermath, even not just of the mundane things that get us side rails, but even comforts folks in the aftermath of a Palm Sunday bombing, bombing in Palm Sunday services in Cairo as his people gathered to worship him. And many of those people who live under fear of persecution for their faith, they gather again this day with us to celebrate the resurrection from the dead, knowing that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The problem is that in our quest for joy and happiness in life, we don't have a seeking problem. We have a directional problem. We're all looking, but we're all looking in the wrong places. Even where we think God is, he's often not there. At first light, we read in Matthew's gospel, the women went to the tomb to finish the work of preparing the body for burial that the Sabbath had prevented them from completing. And once there... They find the opposite of what they were looking for. They were looking for Jesus, but he was not where they thought he was supposed to be. We're looking often for a living Savior in an empty tomb. We are seeking salvation amongst the dead. And it turns out we're not seeking out Jesus because if we were, we would find ourselves in a different place. As Luke asks us, why do you seek the living among the dead? Now, it's not about finding a silver lining. It's not about when life gives you lemons, make lemonade. It's being able to say, like those Christians in Cairo, Egypt this morning, there is no silver lining, but Jesus is alive and he is Lord. And there will come a day when not just the lining, but the entire situation will be redeemed, and in it will be no darkness at all. Not just in part, not just a lining, but all of it will shine with the redemptive brilliance of Jesus Christ. And so it was with fear and great joy that the, woman, the women leave the tomb 
to share the message of the resurrection, what they have heard from the angel and what they've seen in encountering the Lord Jesus. And they share that message with the disciples. They don't hang out around the tomb because there's nothing there. As powerful as their experience was, he is not here for he is risen. If you want to see Jesus Christ, you have to stop dwelling with the dead. Some of us this morning may think, but Andrew, I feel like I'm on the right trail. I feel like I'm a seeker after Jesus, that I'm not wandering off in the wrong direction. And I'm kind of interested in Jesus, especially his character. I like Jesus as the teacher. I can follow him up to Good Friday. I'll even visit the tomb. But empty or not, I kind of want to stay right here. I don't want to even believe in a resurrection. I don't want to encounter uh, the risen Lord Jesus because of the implications on my own life. You may not even believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, but as one preacher said, you should want it to be true because everything hinges on this morning. If Jesus' bones still lie in a grave in Jerusalem, we're all just wasting our time this morning. But because the tomb is empty, everything is changed. Everything is different. Chuck Colson, who was special counsel to President Nixon in his first term and who we know was the first person to be jailed over the Watergate scandal, and we know him more than that because he became a Christian while in prison, and he talks about how he came to know the Lord Jesus behind bars. This is Colson speaking. I know the resurrection is a fact, and Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified they had seen Jesus raised from the dead. Then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Everyone was beaten, tortured, stoned, and put in prison. They would not have endured that if it weren't true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep a secret for three weeks. You're telling me 12 apostles could keep a lie for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. But are you seeking the living amongst the dead this morning? Are you serving a dead Jesus or a Jesus that has been raised from the dead and now reigns as king. This is one of the implications of Christianity that does cause hesitation. Because Jesus, if he's been raised from the dead, it means it has implications on our life. Further, he has a claim on our lives. We see in our gospel reading this morning that when they see the risen Lord Jesus, what do the disciples do? They take hold of his feet. What are they doing? It means that they're bowing before them, before him, with their faces to the ground, worshiping him, not as just a risen Savior who has reconciled them to God by his cross and his resurrection, where we were once children of wrath, but now we've been made children of God, but also because he is who he said he was. That he is the king that has been raised from the dead, who now intercedes on our behalf to God the Father. And so the disciples, and we too, are called to repentance, 
to stop seeking other things by the power of the Holy Spirit, to actually turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and believe on Him. The rule of God and the Lordship of Jesus Christ are not burdensome, certainly compared by the slave drivers of our world. When Jesus calls us to take his yoke upon ourselves, he assures us that his yoke is easy and his burden light, which stands in stark contrast to Satan and those whose only aim is to crush you. It's all about Jesus Christ. He has died for you, he has been raised for you, and now he reigns for you. I heard Canon John J. Uh, J. John from the Church of England preach a sermon a couple of years ago where he rightly pointed out the shift in our culture, not just in the UK, but in America from Christian uh, to post-Christian. And the astounding uh, surveys that come out, and one recently from the UK, that said overwhelmingly that people identified with being a Christian and yet more and more people denying the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Because what we're finding is that for many people, Christianity is simply a cultural consideration and not a deep Holy Spirit-led conviction. As Michael Horton called it, it is a Christless Christianity. But my friends, Christian without Christ is just I-A-N, Ian who I'm sure is a very nice guy, but Ian cannot save you. The resurrection is true. Jesus is who he said he was, but does it make any difference in our lives? As A.W. Tozer asked, is Jesus Lord or just a symbol? Is Jesus just a cultural consideration where is the risen Lord? This morning, we're all struggling, believer and non-believer alike, to live in a world that wants to deplane us. We all like to believe that we are captains of our own souls, masters of our own destinies, but life teaches us differently. What we need is someone to come from the outside, to come in and stand between us and the judgment of the world someone to be our shepherd, someone to save us, someone to give us a joy that is lasting and not built upon circumstance. Well, this morning we can stop our searching, not because Jesus, that we found him, but because he's found us. We must reckon with this Jesus who is not an option. He's not an Ian but makes a claim on our lives. Has he caught up to you this morning? Has he overtaken you by his grace and mercy? Has he placed his joy in your heart that is built upon the person and work of Jesus Christ? For my friends, Jesus is risen, risen indeed. Amen.